and welcome back to Newswire. I'm Kira O'Loughlin and I'm joined today by Mary Ryan and Alison Clare. On today's show, what's the deal with Brexit? Trinity's student newspaper is under fire. How important are societies for universities? And finally, we will be having a panel discussion on whether the Leaving Cert is too academic and giving the lowdown on Lisa Smith. But first, we have our hourly news bulletin. Good afternoon. A scholarship fund worth €50,000 to allow 50 students from Desh secondary schools to attend Irish colleges in the Gaeltacht during the summer has been announced. This is the first time such a scheme will be made available to students in Desh secondary schools. The fund is being rolled out in accordance with the commitment made under the government's Irish Language Action Plan 2018-2022, which was launched last June. Leo Varadkar launched the Healthy Ireland 2019 campaign today, calling on members of the public to be more aware of their own health and well-being. The Healthy Ireland Awareness Campaign is a government-led initiative aimed at improving the health and well-being of Irish citizens. And a survey carried out as part of this revealed 92% of people wanted to make changes to improve their health. Smith's Toy Store has issued a recall of the IMC Crybabies Naladol. The toy has been recalled due to the level of it contains. This product has been on sale in the Republic of Ireland, Northern Ireland and the United Kingdom and a number of Smith's Toys outlets. Around 1,260 units have been sold in the Republic. And finally, Dublin Zoo have announced the birth of a baby Western Lowland Gorilla. The baby was born to first-time mother Kathy and father Bangui on the 1st of April. Keepers have been unable to determine the gender because Kathy hasn't let the baby go since birth. That's all the news for now. Remember, you can keep up to date with us on Facebook and Instagram at DCU NPS News. Yeah, we know. It's coming up to the exams and sometimes you just don't have time to cook. At Domino's Pizza, we'll deliver up until 5am and you can order right on Facebook during your <clears throat> study sessions. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Domino's DCU to order and check out our special student deals. Online, on the pitch and on air, this is DCU FM Sports News. This is DCU FM. Work, 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 work. It's a me, I'll be work, 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 work. And now that I'm without your kisses, I'll be needing stitches. Imagine, no warm clothes for winter, no heat in your house, always hungry and tired, your nights filled with the sound of fighting. Adam is seven. This is his life. Without Bernardo's, what hope has Adam got? We're working with Adam to change his future, but we can't do it without you. This is Fergus Finlay from Bernardo's, 
asking you to change a child's future now. Go to bernardos.ie or call 1850-216-216. That's 1850-216-216. And your name is? Charles Keane. And your occupation? Deputy FM Manager. And your specialist subject is? Pizza. Okay, let's begin. What size is the world's largest pizza ever? 10,000 square feet. Correct. How many countries is Domino's in? 81. Correct. Who is the founder of Domino's Pizza? Tom Monaghan. Correct. What is the world's most popular pizza topping? Pepperoni. Correct. And until what time? I've started so I'll finish. What time is Domino's Pizza in Finglas open until every night? 12 midnight. Oh, I'm sorry, the answer was actually 5am. What, what? No way. Yeah, it's actually true. Domino's Pizza Fingers open till 5am every night. We talk about Brexit a lot here on Newswire. However, latest negotiations are constantly changing and we always want to keep you up to date. Our reporter Lorna, Lorna Lawless gives us a synopsis of recent changes. After failing to get enough support from her own Conservative Party for her Brexit deal, Theresa May has now tried to join forces with her opposition, which is an unlikely source for support, Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn. For months, both have argued in Parliament with May, stating recently he opposes any deal that the government have negotiated with the European Union, and Corbyn in the past accusing May of recklessly wasting time. However, since last week they have been in talks together, trying to come up with an agreement ahead of the 12th of April deadline. The Prime Minister's spokesperson stated today, Our intention is to engage further with the opposition today, given the need for urgency. We hope that this will lead to further formal discussions. May has been faced with a backlash from Brexit supporters in her own party, some of whom have resigned. On Friday, she requested a further deadline extension till June 30th. The Prime Minister has requested an extension to Article 50, but this has previously been turned down and some EU leaders have suggested that they would rather grant a longer extension for about a year, potentially with a break clause, if the UK ratifies a deal during that time. Brexit supporters are concerned that they may be stuck in the European Union or, in turn, be forced to have a second referendum. Theresa May will travel to meet Emmanuel Macron, the French President, and Angela Merkel, the German Chancellor, to plead with them for a short extension to Brexit, claiming talks with Labour have a serious chance of reaching a deal. Before an emergency European summit on Wednesday, the Prime Minister will travel to Paris and Berlin on Tuesday to make the case for extending Article 50 for only a few months. If no extension is granted, the UK is set to leave the EU without a deal on Friday. The only way to stop that would be if MPs were to vote for a removal of Article 50. EU Chief Brexit Negotiator Mikael Barnier will meet Taoiseach Leo Varadkar in Dublin on Monday, ahead of Wednesday's summit to discuss how to avoid a hard border in Ireland in the event of a no-deal Brexit. His arrival comes two days before the EU leaders gather in Brussels to consider an extension to the UK's departure, which is due to take place at 11pm on Friday. Mr Barnier will meet Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, Minister for Foreign Affairs Simon Coveney and Minister for Finance Pascal Donoghue as the EU negotiator teases out with the government how, in a no-deal scenario, to avoid a hard Irish border after Brexit while protecting the integrity of the EU single market. Mr Barnier's visit, which he requested, will allow him to report back to EU leaders at the European Council Summit on Wednesday about the Irish government's views.
On the 15th of March, the University Times, one of Trinity's two student papers, reported on an initiation ceremony they witnessed for a society called the Knights of Campanile. The Knights of Campanile are an elite, invite-only Trinity Sporting Society. It was established in 1926 with an all-male membership of 1,200 present and past students who played sport in the university. A maximum of 50 student members are allowed at one time, according to the University Times. Before this article, very little was known to the public about the society. The Irish Times described the organisation as, quote, an obscure all-male elite sporting society with mysterious entry procedures and a reputation for alcohol-fuelled hijinks. Since the article was published, the newspaper has been put under the microscope. Students raised concerns that the way in which the University Times reported on the event was unethical. They placed a recording device outside the student apartment where the alleged hazing was taking place. They outlined this in their article. Due to this, a referendum is being held in Trinity on whether the University Times funding should be reduced to €3,000 and the editor's salary and free accommodation be banished. According to the paper, €3,000 would allow for the production of only one issue. Last Monday, the University Times held a panel discussion titled The Balance Between Public Interest and Privacy in Journalism Due to All This Controversy. Included in the panel was Ian Cahoe, former editor of the Sunday Business Post, Christine Bohan, acting editor of the journal, and Seamus Dooley, Irish Secretary of the National Union of Journalists. The next clips are from these speakers at the panel. There are times when the answers are clear-cut and there are times when the answers aren't. Journalism is carried out in the field. It's not carried out in the world of academia. So our decisions in the newsroom always come down to two things. The training that we have as journalists and the ethos of the publication that we work for. So every publication is different. Their decisions are informed by, your decisions are informed by the type of newsroom that you work for. <coughs> and outside of the newsroom, there's also the role of outside bodies. You see as the oversight board, the college itself, and the student body. For newsrooms, including both the University Times and Trinity News, and every newsroom in the real world, the Press Council and the Press Ombudsman can step in and deal with complaints about reporting. And there's a whole range of options. If someone is unhappy with a story, they can speak to the editor, they can make a formal complaint to the Press Council, they can go to court. And one of the most practical remedies that the Press Council has is that if there is an issue, the resolution has to be commensurate with the damage of the problematic reporting. So, for example, if a newspaper ran a damaging story on page one, the apology should also appear on page one. If the story ran on page 15, the apology should appear on page 15. In other words, the punishment has to fit the crime. And maybe it's this strong culture of oversight that explains why Ireland has so few cases involving potential privacy breaches where journalists, which journalists argue were in the public interest. We don't get these of the world's top stories here, in which a newspaper ends up being closed down as a result of phone hacking carried out by its journalists and editors. We get naughty, subjective cases. Ones full of grey areas and arguments for and against. And they're not easy, but this is what comes with having from the press. And we may not like every single thing that newspapers, that newspapers and news organisations publish, but the alternative is to live in a society where that's not allowed. Perhaps it was a trespass even to go into the, uh, to, to go into the common area. But that would not be found by a court to be a violation, necessarily be found by a court to be a violation of the, of, of the students. Uh, of the student's uh, right of integrity uh, of the dwelling place. I just want to say one other thing. Hazing, as Seamus Dooley has pointed out, is not a matter 
of sinful privacy for a group of people in the universe. I was speaking today to a good friend of mine who was in Trinity when I was at UCD. And he told me hazing was unheard of in his time. Hazing is an American and a British idea. It's an idea which, is, uh, which involves humiliation. It involves putting people under stress psychologically and physically. It involves a, 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 an almost sadomasochistic aspect to it, but at the very least it involves humiliation and an, an invasion of people's dignity. Now, people are perfectly entitled to engage in sadomasochism or uh, undignified sex or anything else in private. That's their entitlement. But a university should not tolerate a student life where that becomes commonplace. And anybody here who has done what I've done, visited American universities where fraternities operate and where hazing is commonplace, should be aware of the fact that it induces nervous breakdowns, kids dying from alcoholic poisoning, kids jumping uh, out of windows to escape whatever has been done to them, uh, serious humiliations of ordinary individuals. I think it's by telling them. I think it's by telling them it's so rare that we have these kind of debates around journalism in Ireland. Um, in some ways, I think it's, I don't know, healthy is probably the wrong word. I mean, I think it's great to see people so engaged and so, you know, having this discussion about what they want their journalism to look like, you know, um, because we don't have that an awful lot of times around the national media in Ireland. We only talk about it, you know, when there is like a kind of, you see the kind of snark on Twitter and the kind of the, the snippy things about it, about, you know, the thing that I see every day on Twitter is people complaining about or TV being biased, or the Irish Times being biased, or this kind of take that the media is one might be bad, and we don't really have this discussion around the methods that people use. I'm always amazed that, you know, there's a bunch of stories that are published every day in this country, and no one asks about, you know, was this ethical? Like, our death not set. We often talk about things such as freedom of expression, and freedom of the press, and the right to live in a democratic society and afford the state how it underpins it. And we throw these phrases around like we understand what they mean. The truth is, most people don't. And we live in a country where it's increasingly hard to be a journalist, to be a member of that Ford state. We live in a country, let us not forget, where the only person who went to jail as a result of the Beef Tribunal was the journalist who broke the story. We live in a country where, quite frankly, you either have to be staggeringly rich are staggeringly poor to take a defamation case. Where the privacy laws in this country are so tense and so tight, a few people, as we've seen here today, really understand their true import. And most lawyers and most journalists and more business people and figures of public interest do not understand what those privacy laws are. We live in a country where the only, excuse me, where the only company to have any sort of legal redress in relation to site serve was one newspaper which decided to break the story. I could go wrong, but quite frankly, it doesn't surprise me, and only surprises anybody who's been working at the cold face of journalism for any length of time now, that we continue to slip down the freedom of press rankings, that it's harder to do adverse and draconian laws and concentration of media ownership, which I don't really want to get into today. Here and be back in the high court and microphone my briefings. But it's increasingly hard to do that job. And yet, within the context of all of that, the role of journalism, the role of a free press, the role of the Florida state has never 
never be more important than it is today. With so much fake news, with so much scattering of fake opinion, and with so many influential voices seeking to shut down the press. Clubs and societies are a huge part of student life in DCU. They are a way for students to do what they already love with a group of people with similar interests or try their hand at something completely different. With over 120 clubs and societies in DCU and a week-long fair at the start of the year, it isn't hard for a student coming into first year to get involved and find their feet. I would say that out of, from coming to college, society life has changed my life completely turn it upside down for the better um, I would definitely recommend doing it because you get to meet the most incredible people make lifelong memories that you will never forget and you do like for me it's the Raising and Giving Society really gives back to the community so it gives you that sense of making a difference um, so yeah, I've been fairly heavily involved in society life. I This year I was BDO of um, DCU Drama, but I only really got involved in drama last year. So my first year in college, I wasn't really a part of any societies. So I think society life made such a huge difference with meeting so many different people. Because before that, I, I had my group of friends on my course, but to make friends elsewhere was really difficult. Whereas society life makes it so easy because everyone just wants to be friends with everyone. Yeah, I'm involved in several societies um, since first year. I'm a third year, third year final year now and I think I've been on six or seven committees at this point so it's it's uh, it's obviously made a very positive impact on my life uh, I think I would definitely recommend it to anyone who wants to um, become part of a team or build their confidence I'd like to get involved in them next year but this year I'm commuting so um, I kind of have to go home in the evenings and it's a bit hard to like stay up so uh, just recently I became chair of society, so um, like getting involved, it's a really good way to actually get into everything, get to know people. So like I would know people from a lot of different courses that I wouldn't be in kind of thing, or nowhere near. So people in computer courses, engineering courses and other science courses where I'm in education. Also helps people from paths to come up to DCU and get involved and as well then some people will go from DCU down to paths and actually get involved there too. Uh, no, I have not been involved in any, and I'd say it definitely would make a difference. He also never really comes to class. <laughs> so. <laughs> so it would probably have me coming in more. Yeah, it would yeah. make you go in, it would make you make friends. And learn life skills that you can't learn from assignments. Matthew Boyle, the chairperson of DCU Surf and Sail Club, won the award for his individual contribution to a club at the annual Clubs and Societies Awards this year. I spoke to Matthew about his time in DCU and what being an integral part of a club was like for him. How did you feel when you won the individual contribution to a club at the awards? Um, yeah, it was really nice. It's kind of a nice finish to my four years at DCU. Um, kind of feels like I don't know the the time you put in is kind of meant something at the end of it. That's cool. And how did being part of a society and on a committee affect your time in DCU? Uh, it really enhanced it, to be honest. Like from when I came into first year, I joined the club, and then like was on the committee every year since. It just kind of it made it a lot better. Like you meet like-minded people every year rather than just being with the same bunch for the whole four years. So like even though people come and go every year, you still get to meet new people at, like each each year, which is nice too. Yeah. And um, do you think it's important for other people to like come into uh, college and get involved in a society? Absolutely. Um, well, I, I personally, I think it is. I know it's not for everyone, but um, I really feel it's good. It enhances your college life if you kind of put yourself out there, meet new people, just kind of grow 
as a person yourself as well. Um, I'd always recommend like when first years I know are coming to college, like join the club or society, whatever you're interested in, and like you'll you'll see the you'll see the difference. Clubs and societies give students a chance to excel in something they're already good in, or take part in something completely out of their comfort zone. They also provide a space where students can find like-minded people and form friendships in their college years. Being a part of a committee in a club or a society can also teach students how to deal with real-life problems and give them leadership and organisational skills too. Whether you're looking to dance and sing your heart out and stage with DCU drama, go surfing on the weekends with DCU Surf and Sail, or just chill in the hangover hub with Sober Society, DCU's clubs and societies can offer something for everyone. Alison Clare, DCU FM. We're going to take a quick ad break now, but make sure to stay tuned for the latest headlines in the past half hour and for our panel discussion on whether the Leaving Cert is too academic and if Lisa Smith should be let back into the country. Waves between two. Jinx around the corner. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, the first topic for the day um, is about Lisa Smith. So Lisa Smith um, is the ISIS bride who fled to Syria. There's been much talk in the media about her and um, what she's done. So um, I'm here today with Alison Clare and Mary Ryan. So guys, from your research on the issue, um, is she going to be allowed back into the country? I'd say it's highly likely that she will be allowed back into the country. I think the Taoiseach has made it very clear that they do plan to, as far as possible, accommodate her return back to Ireland, um, particularly in the case that she does have a two-year-old child who is an Irish citizen. Um, both are Irish citizens, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, absolutely, so. yeah. Um, but uh, I definitely think that they, uh, I think they would be, it would be very intense extenuating circumstances that would stop the government um, after the, the very public comments they've made in support of her returning home to Ireland. Um, that would, would stop that from actually happening. I think that's a, it's a pretty definite, definite end there. Yeah, so many people, I mean... Uh, like a very big consensus it was actually being um discussed on the Ryan Tropedy show this morning on RTE um I mean there was huge controversy over um a journalist from the Irish Daily Mail actually interviewed her um over in Syria and then RTE took clips of it um, yeah. radio, but but they went on today and said uh, Ryan said look sorry this is from the Daily Mail and then had the journalist speaking on okay. on the show um but what what the general consensus from people texting into the Ryan Trouble show this morning was was there wasn't much sympathy for her and I mean th- there doesn't need to be sympathy for her but people need to realise that the government can't just not let her back in yeah is that mm. a general like misconception that it would be the fault of maybe the religion rather than her or perceived to be her fault if you get me would it be like a general misconception where they hear ISIS and everyone jumps to the worst possible conclusion and say don't let her back into the country yeah yeah i i, I mean it, it seems from the kind of texts that were were coming into him this morning mm. was don't let her back into the country you don't know what she could do and um, you know she could be a threat to the country which which obviously is a valid point she could be a threat to the country um however if she's an irish citizen i don't think there is a crazy amount that the Irish government can do. I mean, there was talks about um, she will be put on trial if she comes back, I think. Well, she'll certainly be investigated. Investigated. Questioned, That's I presume. Questioned, yeah. yeah, yeah I don't yeah. think there'll be an actual trial. Um, 
from what I can tell, but she will be questioned. Is what they've made it clear, as Mary said, that they're going to let her back in, but like if anyone were to come back into the country, they'd have to question. Of course, you know, yeah. They would have to, regardless of whether you're an Irish citizen or not, or whether you, like, I mean, she has stated, she's very clear about the point that she, she made a mistake and that she wasn't involved in anything um, to do with ISIS and that she didn't even own a gun, even though she was alleged to own a gun. And she's like, I've never used one, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it's just, you know, protocol that they question her when she comes back. I mean, they would question anyone regardless of, innocent or guilty or mm. and like do you think that she had bad motives or was she just really naive I it's hard to say yeah uh, as as kind of outsiders yeah has. exactly as sort of outsiders from her from anyone who knew her and from the situation it's very hard for us to determine whether or not um you know her motives were possibly nefarious in any way um and I think more so than whether or not her she had maybe bad motives going ahead, whether or not that was the case. And again, we don't know. We don't actually know Lisa Smith. But I think when we've seen the case of what happened to over in Britain when um, Shemima Begum yeah. and her child were refused, um, refused entry back into Britain and they were basically stripped of their British citizenship. And what was... Sorry, um, what was the circumstances in that situation? In that circumstance, when she was 15 years old, she had been um, what they believe, her family believed that she was radicalised online. And she... So ran kind of similar to what Lisa Smith is saying. Yeah, it yeah. seems to be a lot of the cases. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, but she ran away, similar to Lisa Smith again, um, but very, very young. I mean, again, this she was basically a child, ran away from home with two other girls um, and were reported missing by their families who were absolutely terrified and worried for them. Um, And then she um, was found years later, age 19, in in, in Syria again, um, in a camp for people claiming refuge where she um, was pregnant again. She had lost several children and she asked to be let home to Britain that she said in... Now, in, in her case a lot of the backlash came from originally her saying that she not that she hadn't made a mistake but you know that she just wanted to be let home that she didn't really know what she was doing uh, and a lot of people were saying well we cannot let this person back here she's a disgrace she's terrible and then other people obviously made the point that well this was a child that was she brainwashed was, for yeah. for three to four years you, you can't 15. 15 exactly and you can't expect that to overnight that kind of thinking you know that that radicalization that that led to just her dissipate out of your brain exactly. like it takes a while yeah um I'm and sure. now, now unfortunately i i believe at the moment she's still the the mayor of london actually stripped her of, of her and her her child of their british citizenship and said oh. that they were not allowed back into the country and her subsequently her child actually okay. died in i think that causes more animosity exactly yeah, that's definitely. where i would have whether or not lisa smith in in, in ireland's case had nefarious motives. When you start stripping citizenship in cases like this where radicalization has occurred, mm. it's a very dangerous precedent to set and a very, very dangerous road to go down. Whether or not her, her motives were not, nefarious yeah, at the time, absolutely. very dangerous to set. Because otherwise it causes like a almost like a wave of this animosity amongst the general public and yeah. how they view things like this as well. So like for us to sit back here and say, oh God, isn't it disgraceful that they took away her citizenship and it is absolutely and especially tragic that her child died then and that she's still in Syria in mm. this situation where 
regardless, as you said, Mary, whether she meant to go or didn't, she was 15 at the time. You know, she wasn't an adult. She, like, shouldn't be allowed to make decisions like that. But she did. And to to kind of give this kind of air of we can do whatever we want, we can take away your citizenship, and they can, they have the power to, but to bring that out into the public and say this is acceptable, this is what people in power do to things, like handle situations like this, it's not a good... Um, how, how does though, because I suppose I'm incorrect then in saying earlier, I, I, I kind of insinuated that the Irish government couldn't just strip her of her citizenship, but I mean... if guess they, they can. In the UK, like under what grounds... Can they do that? Like, is it is it just it was the mayor's decision or like, was it a process or? I'm sure they had a process. Of I'm sure sort, it yeah. was. And I'm not too familiar yeah. on how that will go across uh, in the UK. But um, the I think the Taoiseach here in this case, whether or not he does have the power and I'm not entirely I, I would presume the Taoiseach is the highest office. So I would presume he himself would have the power to do that, whether or not he'd have checks and balances there in place. I'm not sure. Um, but considering he has made it incredibly clear that that this is not something, and even before this case emerged, while Miss um, Begum's case was emerging in the UK, um, Radker made it, made it very clear that uh, I, th- I believe there was possibly wasn't related to that. Possibly there was a similar case going on of an Irish citizen um, who had been who allegedly at the time had links to um, ISIL forces. Um, the Taoiseach possibly in relation to that said well definitely we do not strip citizenship that's not what we do it it adds a lot of uh, animosity and it, it again sets a, not a great precedent so I think the mood in Ireland for that whether or not it does emerge again it's been very quickly quelled down by the by mm. higher level you know so that's uh, and do you think like this issue of radicalising online is an issue in Ireland I think I think so. Yeah, I think everywhere it's a huge issue, and not just it's so underground. Like mm. you can't monitor it. What are you, like how are you meant to like how are you meant? To, I know everybody talks about um, you know regulating social media um, when it comes to not even just like when it comes to bullying online. When it comes to anything, when people can post anything online, essentially, yeah, and um, they were saying that Mark Zuckerberg had come to um, Ireland last week only to talk about. Uh, regulating social media and stuff in Ireland but when you're talking about this kind of like this is very serious radicalization like brainwashing people like this happens underground it clearly happened to a 15 year old so you know how can you monitor that there's no possible way Mm. and I think it's important when we talk about radicalization as well a lot of particularly western media focus on radicalization um, of young people in terms of joining or supporting the Daesh or ISIL forces. But we unfortunately also saw that that's not where that's limited to only mm. with the um, absolute tragedy that happened in Christchurch in New Zealand. Yeah. The shooter of that was yeah. radicalised online as well. So it's not just, you know, a lot of people I think will will pinpoint when they want to it's call so, for the danger of radicalisation. Yeah, it's so important to realise that it's not a singular religion or organization yeah. that is mm. causing this like this the word radicalization if normal people like if normal general public out in the world hear radicalization i would presume that they automatically think islamic state isis which is not true like you can no. and the perfect example of that mary is what happened in christchurch because that was not anything to do with it was actually completely against them which is it was horrific and i think that kind of woke people up a bit yeah definitely and they were like wait a sec you know 
this can happen the other way. Yeah. Do you know, which is ridiculous in itself that people don't even realise that. The media. It mean, is. I mean, we're working in the media, so you, you do have to be so careful with how you say things and how you talk about things. Absolutely. So thanks for bringing that point up, Mary. Um, so, yeah, as I spoke about earlier, um, the Irish Daily, or the Daily Mail, sorry, um, is the only outlet which seems to have gotten an exclusive with Lisa Smith. So we're just going to play a short clip um from that um and then when we come back afterwards uh, we'll be finishing our panel discussion apologies we actually couldn't get that clip to work but if you do want to watch that interview um it is on the irish daily mail and the dailymail.co.uk um so for our second panel discussion of the day going on to a bit of a lighter but still really important issue and um, we're going to be talking about the leave insert uh kicking it back a few years so um yeah it's it, there recently was an article in the irish times um and it was basically just about a working group um that you know came together just to go over kind of the senior cycle in ireland and you know they all kind of came to a consensus um, that the Leaving Cert is uh, too narrowly focused on academic learning and it's not suitable for students of varying abilities um, including kind of more hands-on people and I mean there, there's so many so many other things that can be said so um, from looking at this what have you gathered does there need to be a reform in the Leaving Cert? I think absolutely mm. I mean once you arrive to university you realise that the skills that you were looking for like just for us for example like our our job isn't focused on academic studies at all it's practical it's how you present yourself it's how you mm. can you know how you look how you view the world how you look at the world and we're, we're also doing journalism by the way guys. yes <laughs> um so it's it's a completely different thing even if you look at um my uh, little brother is actually in the Leaving Cert at the moment and he just got accepted to NCAD. So he is has a completely different view on the world and he goes into school every day and he has to rote learn, you know, things that are in the book, whatever geography, you know, history, all that kind of stuff, whatever subjects he picked. Also, the amount of subjects that they have to do is the most ridiculous thing. No other secondary school curriculum, I'm pretty sure, I think like we're probably one of very few that have to do upwards on six subjects everyone else picks three yeah and you know they mm. specialize in what they want to do or kind of aim towards what they want to do whereas in the Irish leaving cert it makes no sense that we have to do six subjects where you've no interest in them you just have to fill a quota and I, I don't know I just feel it, it needs to be reformed and I think that's that's come through in this panel that they've held they've all come to the consensus that it's not working they have the only thing um I suppose that makes the leavings are kind of different from other countries and maybe makes it look more favourable is if you look at um, the states at the moment, they're having kind of huge issues with, um, you know, people paying to get into college. Yeah. There was the Varsity Blues came out there a few weeks ago where, you know, um, rich parents were paying upwards of 500 mm. grand to get their children into colleges through. Um, and it wasn't, you know, we all, they all know that, you know, some parents paid put money towards a library but this was actually um this was fraud this is just bribing it was oh, bribing. straight up fraud yeah um but anyway um when that was all happening you know the one thing i said about the leaving cert is at least 
I mean, it's fair in a sense. In a sense. I would have a question about that, all right, because I, while obviously it's not as um, open to, we'll say, perhaps persuasion as the American system would be, (laughs) uh, I think definitely a good example, um, like Ali was saying about the rote learning, an example of how the current system is broken in Ireland is if you look at the grinds industry and how much money that that makes, that people are first of all not coping with the workload of six subjects most of which that they they've no interest no interest in and you know some of whom i mean if you look at the example as well of the honors math oh there are so many students taking honors maths for the extra 25 um just not able to to cope with that so then you have to get grinds for that then if you are falling behind because you're spending so much time on your honours maths you're going to have to get grinds for we'll say Irish Uh, if you're falling behind then another subject that's another lot of grinds so that's another load of evenings taken up with grinds that is you know varying in price 30, 40, 50 two grinds teachers per week that's you know bankrupting parents and I think especially wealthy parents can definitely afford more grinds more grinds you know like there's absolutely no doubt that the wealthier you are the better chance you have of doing well 100 percent, because you can pay for it however i suppose just comparing it to Mm, the american system you either get the points or you don't there's no room for for interviews and all this kind of stuff but saying that i don't agree with it either i mean as someone who um isn't particularly good at road learning i never was the leavings are definitely didn't suit me and that's why i kind of did did more subjects like art and technology mm. and that kind of mm. thing but yeah i mean i think they try to cater for people who don't like rote learning with things like art technology but let's say in i'm from clare and there was no option to do technology in my school we barely were allowed to do music uh, because yeah, it was an, it was a choice subject and we weren't allowed to choose it as part of our extra three, if you get me, apart from our core subjects. We actually had to do it as an eighth subject. So oh. I did eight subjects for the Leaving Cert. Yeah. And it was ridiculous because, like, if you were good at something like that, it was almost kind of, there was no funding put into it, especially not in my school anyway. There was no funding. There was, it was just like, ugh, if you have to do it, you have to do it kind of a thing, uh, which is ridiculous. But also I was just thinking there, do you think that the grind system is kind of, you know, the way people will pay and pay for grinds. Do you think that's the fault <coughs> of the teachers for not, some parents would blame teachers for not um, doing their job, Oh yeah, that we, they'd have to outsource grinds. We, I have to get um, Spanish grinds for my leaving cert because um, we didn't have a Spanish teacher for like six months. Oh my um, goodness. Wow. Before that, for, for our junior cert, our... Um, I shouldn't be going into personal details, <laughs> but for our junior cert, uh, another Spanish teacher we had actually ended up having to go to court. So we didn't have her. Oh <laughs> we didn't have her for our junior cert. So I had to get grinds. I yeah. was failing really, really, really badly in you Spanish. You had no Spanish teacher. Um, I had, like, and I needed to do honours to, to get, um, to get the, the points yeah. I needed. But yeah, so I was failing Spanish, and I mean failing Spanish really badly. And then when I started getting grinds, like, I somehow managed to get a C1 mm. in the in in honors but i still can't speak spanish so that just shows mm. how it doesn't sink in it, it doesn't yeah. sink in at all if you Whatever ask me, gave me so in that sense yeah i definitely blame teachers mm. um but i think it's different for everyone though yeah you yeah, can't just definitely. paint everybody with the same brush and i understand there are a lot of teachers out there that are doing a great job and mm. enjoy their work oh, there's loads of um, teachers. but you know it's the system itself is the thing that's broken 
you know, we yeah. need to just reform how it's looked at, I think, and how education in general is looked at. Mm. Education in general is looked at. Mm. Absolutely. You know, especially like in school, it's all about the academics in Irish schools. There's no societies. There's the people play the odd sport, but that's kind but of. But if you're it. not sporty, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Go in a musical? That's it was what definitely, I did. definitely in my school, it was very very sports heavy uh, and as somebody who wouldn't know one end of a slitter to a rugby ball I was useless so I you know you're saying about like the society mm. kind of the that, that kind of community spirit of the school definitely was lost on me because I think most higher skills are terrible for yeah kind of society. yeah yeah but then you look at clubs again like I played basketball all through school and we were missing like at least countless hours yes so yeah. many classes yeah. a week but they didn't they were like yeah no you're go on there like. is that their way of being like look we're promoting the you know extracurriculars yeah. by I like think letting it must people be. yeah now my and again I don't want to you know go into too personal details or, or rag on my secondary school anything, <laughs> but my uh secondary school when I did the leaving cert was very big on mental health during studying so we did after school study, but they would take people out of after school study to do a pray, hope and don't worry session. But they would take you out of your study to not worry about study. But you're worrying about study when you're exactly. out of study, so trying not to worry about study. Exactly. So it was a very futile attempt to um, kind of stop the stress levels, not actually addressing the problem of mm. what the root level of what is causing yeah. such high numbers of stress and worry. And it's so much pressure. That is mm. another thing about this. Like, regardless of people's school experiences, that's a different thing, or how schools try to combat, you know, mental health or how they try to promote extracurricular activities. That's the school's thing. That's mm. their own thing. But the education system itself, the Leaving Cert, is the most stressful time for most students like oh, yeah. like as Kira you were saying there you're not an academic learner you don't wrote learn things um and I think it's really horrible that they would that's how your intelligence is reflected yeah and that's yeah. not the same for yeah. everyone oh, and absolutely. it shouldn't be the precedent it shouldn't be you know if you can wrote learn the whatever 300 pages of this geography book you're, you're smart yeah. yeah like that's not how it works that's and not how the real world works it, no. it's really unfortunate for people who go into college then who are like that and think that they have to rote learn things because yeah oh, i mean i was a le- i'm a rote learner oh so am i uh, yeah i w- i had no problem with leave sir because i was able to memorize everything off Same. and regurgitate volumes of text and then I got to college and then you have to do independent thinking. And that was very yeah. difficult yeah, to get like, used to. Yeah, it's my own opinions. Because go, I didn't have yeah. anything to memorize. I didn't have anything to, to regurgitate. And I couldn't regurgitate because that was plagiarism. Yeah. So it was a huge switch. So mm. it, it benefits nobody at all, whether no you're one. used to that rote learning or whether you, you're not. That's not what you're suited for. It benefits mm. no one. And do you think that the transition year should be should be reformed, I suppose? Do you think transition year has a place in secondary school? I mean, I don't want to bash my school, but our <laughs> transition year, our transition year school tour, you know the way everybody goes yeah. on holidays? Oh, we didn't Do you know where we holidays. went? We went to Dublin. Well, we, I'm not even kidding. We went smoke. up to the, yeah. <laughs> I see that's, like. That's better than, do you know where we, we went? We went to, oh, what's that place even called? 
not cray or something no I couldn't even tell no, you where I that is know. where there's a mountain you do a hike we went there with gosh girls just for one night it wasn't Glendalock was Glendalock it? tell you now oh, we, Glendalock is gorgeous That's though can we, we just to. point oh. that out <laughs> Glen, we, one night to Glendalock that was all yeah. we were because we were near Glendalock as well so everyone was like grand handy climb up the feckin mountain you'd be grand it was you know I think people think that this is like I think transition year in its current form and for me, climbing Glendalough for Goshka was an example of why Transition Year in its current form. It, it, it attempts <laughs> to be that model of including societies and extracurricular skills. It, it? But it, it fails miserably because the people involved don't think it's necessary and the people involved in, in many schools don't actually care. No. And that reflects in that students. Well. Exactly. So, like, I remember going into fifth year and I was like, what? However, saying that, I think it kind of depends what age you're at. It, if yes, you're, absolutely. If you're at the, like, for myself, if I hadn't have done um, transition year, I still would have been okay because I still would have been 18 in first year of college. Mm, same. Um, but for other people, if they were going to be 17, like, you, you kind of have to do it. You kind of mm. have to. You have to be, like, you wouldn't be ready to go out into the real world no. and, like, you know, oh, I don't know. Okay. Some people, it's necessary for, I do understand yeah. that, but why not? I read this somewhere, I can't even remember now, but why not make the leaving cert cycle a three year thing? You know, spread out the workload so you're not under pressure for mm. all mm. of fifth and sixth year and spread the workload. Do. But I think there should be exams at the end of every year. Absolutely. As well. Yeah. Instead of having like seven two hour exams in sixth year, have like one hour and, you know what I mean? Like mm. spread it out. Yeah. Or just have smaller tests. And I think they've tried to do that a bit with. The junior cert, mm. because I know it's changed a lot since, well, definitely yeah, we yeah. did anyway, definitely. that they now have to do, like, especially in English, they now have, for English for the junior cert, you now have to make, like, an oral presentation, which is counted as part of your grade, um, which, you know, whether or not you think it's a good idea, it is an example of taking some of the, the bulk of the mark away from the actual exam itself. Mm. Kind of reflects then how university life is or how university, yeah. like, academics are graded yeah. you know it's yeah. continuous assessment yeah, essentially they should just just keep it rolling um well anyway guys i'm afraid that's all we have time for today so thank you so much for tuning in um i'm kira o'loughlin i'm alice Clare, and i'm mary ryan remember you can always keep up to date with us on facebook twitter and instagram at dcu mps news uh, we go live again at thursday at five o'clock see you then <laughs>